0: We have with us today John Cribb. He is a numerously published author, uh, including The American Patriot's Almanac and The Educated Child. He's a developer of an online history courses. He has a new book, which isn't factual. It's fictional. It's a novel, a historical novel, entitled Old Abe, which I read last weekend and very quickly. It was a great read. This is our topic for today. Welcome, Mr. Cribb.
1: Hi, Mark. Thanks very much for having me on. I really
0: appreciate it. Okay, just in very broad terms, what's the story that you tell here?
1: Uh, Old Abe is the story of the last five years of Abraham Lincoln's life. So it starts in the spring of 1860 when he's nominated for the presidency. And then you're just at his side, every page, every chapter, as he goes through uh, you know his, uh, his presidency and the, and the Civil War. So So you're with him for big iconic events like the Gettysburg Address and the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation. And then you're with him for a lot of uh, lesser known moments, but ones that I I hope make a life in full, like um, the afternoons he stands over hospital beds, looking down into the faces of wounded soldiers, both both Union and Confederate soldiers, or the day his son Willie dies in the White House in February of 1862, or the night that the... White House stables catch on fire and, and he rushes outside and tries to force his way into this blazing inferno because he realizes his son's uh, pet goats and ponies are in there and would, wants to get them out. So, so a lot of events like that, that I think hopefully bring him alive. And that's uh, one of the main points of this book is to try to bring Lincoln alive for the yeah. reader and make him a walking, talking, breathing fellow, and not just that stiff image that we all know on the the five dollar bill, and then also hope if, if people read it, it will help remind them or help them learn just what an extraordinary service he, he performed to this country because he really was that, that giant, you know, that giant hero in that epic struggle to, uh, to save our country.
0: Uh, that scene of the death of his son there and the reaction of his wife, Lincoln's reaction, and for several hours afterwards, it's a very powerful images there in the book and when you present it dramatically uh, like that narratively it, it really does stick is that one reason why even you're a historian you want you want the facts but you Wrong. turn to the novel this time the novel form
1: yes that's exactly right because and, and I, I, um, even though I, most of my career I've uh, been writing nonfiction, this is my first novel. Uh, I love literature. I was an English major at Vanderbilt University in Nashville many many years ago. So I've always wanted to write a novel, um, and that's that's a big reason I did this as a novel. I mean, for one thing, there are a lot of there are a lot of great nonfiction biographies out there about yeah. about Lincoln, lots and lots. They say more books have been read about Lincoln than anybody in history except for for Jesus Christ. Hmm. Um, not not so many works of fiction you know comparatively few novels and i really did want to try to bring him alive and and for example that scene that you that you mentioned and i think i I devote a couple of chapters to that uh to willie uh getting sick and then and then dying um and actually more than that if you count kind of the the aftermath of it what it did emotionally to to mary and uh and abraham lincoln um a lot of really fine biographies you might get a paragraph or two on that uh, especially if they're concentrating on, you know, politics or the military aspects of the war. Um, but that that death was the second, the second of the two Lincoln boys that died while Abraham Lincoln was alive. The first, Eddie, died in, in Springfield in 1850. Um, and But Willie's death in particular, I think, really was just overwhelmingly uh, traumatic. Yeah. And uh, so I, I think it's important to bring that alive for people. And that's the kind of thing that fiction can do. Uh, that nonfiction sometimes doesn't do, do quite as well.
0: I, I was going to say, that was my next question. Can a novel do things that history can't? Yes, I think it, it
1: can. It doesn't take the place of history, that's for sure. And the downside of it is, with historical fiction, is you're always in the back of your mind wondering, hmm, did this, you know, did this really happen? <laughs> right. Um, I, I went to great lengths to try to make this as historically accurate it's yeah. possible. So it's just not Abraham Lincoln chasing vampires or killing zombies or anything like that. Um, my wife teases me. It took me. I'm embarrassed to say hello. It took me to, to research and write this thing. I got the idea in 2006, and it was published last year. So you do the math. My wife says, you know, John, it only took four years to fight the Civil War. It took you more than three times that amount of time to write this book. In my defense, it was a very part-time effort. You had other stuff going on, and sometimes a manuscript would, would sit in the drawer for, for some time without like, working on it.
0: But John, John, you, you, you know that it, it takes a lot of very careful revision to construct a scene, to construct a yes. character.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And I really spent a lot of time, you know, researching. I mean, I have just on my bookshelves alone at home, 300 books probably on Abraham Lincoln. Um, you know, lots of books by people who knew him and old books by people who knew him and and, and had firsthand encounters with him and wrote about that, their, their discussions with him. there. And, you know, I tried to build that into the dialogue, the actual, I use a lot of primary source material, you know, memoirs, letters, articles from time to try to to build the words these people actually wrote and spoke into the dialogue. Um, And all the, most of the characters that walk on and off these pages were real uh, people. Occasionally I invent a minor character to move the story along. Almost everything happens. Sometimes I, condensed uh, events i had to leave an awful lot out there's a date at the top of every pack uh, chapter to help the reader know you know where yep. they are in time so i really put a lot into to trying to make this an, an accurate portrayal of, of lincoln now of course yep. i had to fill in a lot of the gaps and details of my imagination that's what makes it fiction and it is my interpretation um of, well, you know because one thing i had to leave a lot out and that in itself is an editorial decision but but i tried to make
0: it as accurate as possible well you know, I wanted to say, you, you talk talking about filling in the gap, so you're supplying, you know, specific dialogue here and there. How does that filling in the gap be fictional but avoid being false? But I think by hewing as closely
1: as possible to the historical record. Um, so, you know, a lot of times we don't have the specifics of actual dialogue at a, at a given um uh, in a given scene, although yeah. many times we do because people left, you know, everybody everybody wrote about Lincoln after he was gone. Everybody never knew him in any way. Mm-hmm. And, of course, then you have to bring some judgment to bear as to whether they're, they're reporting accurately or not what happened. But even when we don't have specifics of specific scene or dialogue, uh, we can you know draw on other um, uh, instances. And one thing I learned about living in, in Washington for 20 years is that if a politician says something uh, especially if it's a good line something he likes believe me he says it more than once <laughs> so you know sometimes uh, i could I would take lincoln's words that he said in another setting and i would you know import them into a scene not in a major yeah, way but yeah. in a minor way yeah. uh because you know you can count on people in general saying saying things more than once in their life that's for sure um but then of course the, the big iconic events um and many of the lesser known events we do have we do have records of um, of what was said and what happened, and so that's that was why this was such a huge uh, research project because so I really wanted to, to to dive deep and 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 be as accurate as I possibly could be.
0: So, really, a good historical novelist does a heck of a lot of research. Yes. You, you because if you don't, you're you're gonna it's too easy, right, to slide to yes. To, to to make something dramatic and i'm mean, just to lose lose the right spirit of of right. things, i imagine well let's take one scene yeah. uh, this, this is from okay. starting on well go ahead go ahead yeah yeah no go
1: ahead yeah, let's, let's 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 look at it yeah
0: okay you got one scene it starts on page 75 uh, lincoln mm-hmm. encounters a man for the first time named Alan pinkerton what ha- mm-hmm, what's yeah. going on in that scene and, and, uh, and go ahead and feel free to take it slow
1: yeah. He is on his way to Washington. He has been elected. And um and so he's on his way to uh to, to, to be sworn in in Washington and the country is already falling apart. And they they pull him aside in uh Philadelphia and, and a friend of his named Norman Judd, he was traveling with him, pulls him aside and uh and Norman Judd was a real guy and um he says, We got a problem and he, he takes him upstairs and they sit down and uh, Alan Pinkerton, who's a well known Chicago detective um is is there and he has been looking into a conspiracy that's been brewing in Baltimore and there's a barber uh his last name is Ferrandini an Italian barber it sounds like something from the Godfather doesn't it <laughs> and he has assembled uh this um uh this this group of people uh to assassinate Lincoln as he passes through Baltimore because they have to change trains uh when they get to Baltimore and the plan is while they're changing planes they're going to uh, They're going to cause a diversion, and they're going to kill him. And uh, Pinkerton uh, urges Lincoln to change his uh, schedule. Uh, Lincoln initially uh, um, resists that idea. He says, for one thing, he's scheduled to speak at Independence Hall in Philadelphia. He really wants to do that you know, the birthplace of, of America and the, the Declaration of Independence, which is his favorite founding document. He's been then he's scheduled to speak at Harrisburg, but they basically talk him into it. And he says, all right, well, look, if you, if you really feel this is serious, I'll, I'll follow your advice. So after he speaks at Harrisburg, they, um, they basically, without telling anybody, they teal him off from the traveling party. And uh, he's, you know, put him in a long coat and give him a hat to pull down over his head and a pinker tells him to stoop down a little bit. So he's not quite so tall. And they mm-hmm. put him on a, another train uh, he, with his friend Ward hill Lamon, who's traveling with him as kind of an unofficial bodyguard. And um, they smuggle him into uh, in, into Washington. And after it was they're leaving, as they're pulling out of Harrisburg, they cut the telegraph wire so nobody could know that this has happened. Hmm. So Lincoln enters Washington under the cover of, of darkness uh, to, avo- to, to get ahead of this plot. Um, he later regrets it, I think, um, p- p- partly because he's just viciously attacked in the press. Well, one
0: thing thing that you bring out in the dialogue, and this, I think, is part of the power of writing it as a novel, because it just, it sinks, the the scenes sink into your head and and stick, I think, more strongly when you've got the dramatic visualization going on in the setting. But, I mean, Pinkerton says, here's how they're going to do it. When you right. switch and trains, that, uh, th- th- that's, that's very, very good, Yes. what you do and there. I'm
1: drawing on—well, and I'm, I'm, I'm stealing there from—I mean, Pinkerton left a written account of this meeting, and uh, as our Norman Judd did, too, um, a detailed uh, record of the conversation. So I was able to uh, build Pinkerton's words, and uh, both of what he said he told Lincoln and his reports of the plot— Right. Uh, straight into the dialogue, even so down to the level of helpful. they're going
0: to create a diversion here, your guards yeah. will run out, then some other guys are going to come in and 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 that yeah. the the assassins are all hoping e- each one wants to deliver the final blow. right right, yes, <laughs> yes,
1: they've uh, It's like in Shakespeare, they've drawn blots for the honor. <laughs>
0: right, right.
1: <laughs> and, and the it in like, yeah. and that's yeah. where and they, the,
0: you, you've got the facts down. right. So,
1: yeah, and I think that's one thing that, that people have, have has appealed to people about this, uh, this book. And I've been I've been gratified that people who know Lincoln um, and know a story have, have told me that that they, you know, that they say you got it right and that they they uh, enjoyed it, even though they already, you know, already knew a lot of this stuff. Um, so hopefully pe- both people who don't know a lot about Lincoln and people who already know some about it will, uh, will enjoy this.
0: Uh, another good part is the politicking and the, the 1860 convention where, you know, some people are very confident that Lincoln is going to win, but Lincoln's a dark horse in that race, isn't yes. he? Yes. Yes. Yeah, really, William Henry
1: Seward uh, from New York is the is the favorite. Um, and so, um, Lincoln is not expecting to win. He knows he's got a shot. Um, the leading candidates, who he all puts later into his cabinet, the, the leading Republican candidates, um, they all have something they've either said or done that's made them some you know some, some will give them some problem in the general election. Um, and Lincoln's campaign team is able to is able to argue that in Chicago, which is where the convention is held. Lincoln does not go to Chicago. The, Candidates back then didn't go to those conventions. That was considered, you know, getting themselves their hands too dirty with politics. <laughs> so he stays in Springfield that day and waits anxiously for news uh, coming over the, the telegraph wire. Yeah. Um, and then when it comes, and when he when it comes, the news has come. You were nominated. Uh, he, he knows at that point he's got a very good chance of winning the general election because the Democratic Party is going to split over the issue of slavery. Um, and I think that's the second chapter, I believe, where I, I just spend on that day where he's waiting in Springfield, and we yeah. follow him around Springfield as he's waiting for news from Chicago as to, as, to, as to what's going to happen at this convention.
0: Well, it's interesting the way some delegates are pledged to vote for one candidate on the first ballot but then on the second yeah. ballot they're free to go to go elsewhere. So there's right. a lot of jockeying going on in within the party, within the party ranks. That's right. And, that's and, right. Uh, that, that's nothing that sticks now. Let me ask you uh, that, that, about that bigger question about reading a lot of history. Knowing the history is a way to avoid falsification. You know, you're 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 getting all you're getting all the facts in there and it's it's true. Yeah, no, nothing mm-hmm. violates the historical record. But let me ask you does reading a lot of the history, really immersing yourselves in that, is that almost necessary for you to have that dramatizing capacity? To start to start seeing this as something with setting, with sounds yeah. going on, with people moving back and forth? Is, is that... I mean, to have sort of the dramatic imagination of things... You need a lot of the history to do that. Would you say that or, or no?
1: Absolutely. In my case, anyway. I mean, I can only speak for myself, but for, for writing this book, absolutely. Especially since I'm, I'm telling it from. Uh, it's not written in the first person, but it is from basically from Lincoln's point of view. You're at his, as I say, at his side every,
2: yeah. every
1: page. Um, and since I wanted to make it realistic, I really had to, to dive in, out of the history. And that that the history, the research, basically took three three forms. One was, as I say, book reading. Lots and lots of book reading, um, especially those older books by, you know, where people um, recounted their experiences with Lincoln, their, their conversations with him. But also, you know, general biographies, that kind of range, too. And then a fair amount of Internet research. There's, there's a, an amazing amount of scholarship out there. On the internet, I mean everything from the Lincoln Papers. You can go online to the, at the Library of Congress and see all the you know digitized copies of the Gettysburg Address and all his other original papers. All of his collected works are online and searchable. Mm-hmm. Um, the amount of Lincoln scholarship out there is unbelievable, and that was true long before the internet came along. Generations of Lincoln scholars, both professional and, sto- and amateur historians have labored uh, in the field of Lincoln studies for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my, this book would not possibly have come into being without, without their work. And yeah. then the third area of research was, was travel to all these sites. I mean, I've been all to all the Lincoln sites, you know, more than, more than once, certainly. Every place from Sinking Spring Farm, where he was born in Kentucky, to, you know, Fort Theater, where he was assassinated, and lots and lots of places in between. And you really have to walk the ground um, I mean, I tell people, you know, if, if there's one place you want to go um, to really know Lincoln, it may be New Salem, Illinois, a little frontier village out on the on the, the the about 20 miles west of Springfield, where he spent several years as a young man, where he first entered politics. And he was a, a clerk in a general store and a surveyor and the postmaster and hmm. taught himself grammar. And they've, re, they've reconstructed that village. You walk that ground and you really begin to understand where he where he came from, uh, same for the boyhood home in Indiana, and of course Springfield, and the the docents and the historians and the volunteers and the park rangers and places like that they are often experts in that one slice of Lincoln's life, hmm. and their insights are invaluable. So to do a book like this, uh, you know, I really had to go and walk the ground and and, uh, and soak up the, you know, come into contact with the world that he uh, that he lived in.
0: all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. Uh, a- another revelation that you get, you know, people who just have a popular image of Lincoln, is he's so monumental a figure today that most people don't know how many people during his time just despised him. Some yeah. thought he was a clown,
1: yeah. right? yeah he was i mean yes we have such a you know we i mean but not just for political reasons
0: not just for political reasons, north and south or anything but just as a as a person many yeah. looked down on him
1: yes yeah they did um when they got to washington i mean even his cabinet i mean initially william henry seward who he defeated for the nomination came into the cabinet he was lincoln's secretary of state mm-hmm. and he came in thinking he was going to be the power behind the throne and he was going to be the, you know, the puppet master and well, Lincoln. Well, what, is, what is, what is this, that uh,
0: you know, country lawyer who, who, who splits rails exactly. from Illinois? What does he know?
1: Right. And exactly. And within a, a matter of a very short time later, Seward was writing his wife saying, uh, the president is the best of us. But Lincoln ran into this again and again, when he was a, a young, when he just starting out as a lawyer, one time, his partner, John uh, Todd Stewart sent him to, uh, meet with a, uh, an Englishman who was a client and Lincoln shows up looking like the bumpkin. And he is, and the guy takes one to look at him and, you know, stomps off and says, I'm going to find another lawyer happened with, uh, before the civil war, uh, um, uh, Stanton, Edwin Stanton, who later becomes Lincoln's secretary of war and his mm-hmm. good friend. He's the one that says now he belongs to the ages. You know what he does. Um, he runs, Stanton is a very prominent lawyer and, uh, Lincoln is, uh, involved in a law case with him in, uh, Cincinnati, a mechanical reaper case and stanton takes one looks at him and says who sent that long-armed baboon here he <laughs> says i'm not going to be on this case if, if, if this guy's on the case he will not let him in say a word in the courtroom he's incredibly rude to lincoln just completely cuts him out of the case hmm. um and years later lincoln you know hires him as his as secretary of war because he knows he's the best man for the job um so lincoln runs into that again and again in his life
2: yeah.
1: um, where people look at him. and then as you say when he's president he is savaged in the press. He is as the war goes badly for the first two years. He is called a clown. He's called a root from the sticks. He has no idea what he's doing. Yeah. Um, you know all kinds of. And this is the northern press. I mean, you can imagine with yeah. the with uh, the southern press. And, and, about
0: it. and two years in, he he gets he gets blown away in the midterms. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 He doesn't
1: do well in midterms, and then he he is headed for almost certain defeat um in the uh you know when he runs for Mm re-election um during the summer of uh of 1864 the republicans are convinced he's he's going to lose they even try to run john fremont as an alternative uh republican candidate and lincoln tells lincoln tells people in the white house he's, he's told people you think I don't know I'm going to lose, but I know I'm, I'm going to lose. Um, only when Sherman takes Atlanta in September of 1864 mm-hmm. does all of a sudden the mood swing and the North begins to think we're going to win this thing. Mm-hmm. And then Lincoln, Lincoln ends up winning fairly handily, although yeah. he doesn't—he's still not sure of the night of the election. He's not sure which way he's going to go.
0: Uh, one thing about the greatness of Lincoln that you also bring out is that after after Fort Sumter people don't realize just how much grave uncertainty there was in Washington, D.C. People didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know what the states were, were going to do, mm-hmm. right? They didn't know if there was some—I mean, there were there were pro-Southern military forces north of Washington, yes. D.C., right?
1: Yes, yes. They very much felt like a city under siege for a while there. Um and Washington was completely cut off from the rest of the world. I mean, of course, Virginia was on one side of the Potomac, um, where, where, as you say, Confederate troops were amassing, reportedly, you know, many more than actually were. Um, and then on the other side of, of D.C. was Maryland, which w- was a border state, a state of the Union, but they didn't know that at the time. There was a lot of thought that Maryland was going to go out of the Union. There was so much uh, pro-Southern uh, sympathy there. Uh, the, the only town And there were, were slaves heard, in Maryland. Yeah, and slaves in Maryland, and slaves in the District of Columbia D. C., too. Yeah, yeah, the DC yeah. was a slave-holding territory, yeah. um, and the telegraph wires get cut coming into a city. The railroad uh, lines get cut. They were literally cut off. Uh, Lincoln tells people, he "says We're going to die what, like rats in a heap if mm-hmm. uh, if we don't get help." And he keeps looking out the window of the White House, uh, peering with a telescope down the Potomac, and listening, you know, hoping to hear a train, and saying, "Where is the North?" At one point, he says, I, 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 "I'm beginning to think there is no North." Because he's called up 75,000 troops, and he just keeps waiting and waiting, and finally uh, a, a train arrives. They've managed to repair the tracks, and um, and troops start to arrive. But they really did think for a while that uh, Washington was going to be overrun. And then after they, they lose the battle of uh, First Manassas, the first large land battle, battle of the war, which takes place just right outside of D.C., and the the uh, federal army comes streaming back, you know, beaten into Washington, once again, they think We're about to be overrun. You know, we're going to have Southern soldiers burning the White House down or, you know, invading the White House at any rate, any any minute now. But never more than once.
0: Never does Lincoln's resolve for the union diminish.
1: No, 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 it never does. He's, you know, he certainly was discouraged at times. And I think you get that, you know, if you read the book, but he never, never, never. uh, lost his resolve, and there were certainly more than one time when the people of the North, as the, North, as the war went badly, were a lot of people were ready to say stop, just stop this, give it, give up, give this up. It's not worth it. Let the South go. Let them have their slaves. All this death and bloodshed is not worth it. Mm-hmm. And Lincoln said, no, no, we're gonna, we're gonna see this through. We're gonna, we're gonna save this Union, and we're gonna, we're gonna see this through. He used to tell people. I, he he really is a model of perseverance. He used to tell people when he was president. He said I'm gonna, like a man trying to keep a tent up in a storm. And he said, I get it all staked down to the ground and the wind blows out one of the tent stakes. And I take a hammer and I peg it back down into the ground. And as soon as I get it staked in, the wind blows out another tent stake. So I run around and I peg it back down. And as soon as I get it in, the wind blows out another tent stake. So I run around and I peg it back down. Yeah. And he told people, he said, that's all I do all day long is I keep pegging away and pegging away. And he said, that's what I mean to keep pegging, is pegging away. And that's what he did. He pegged away through four horrible, uh, long, tough years when yeah. he was president.
0: Yeah I didn't know that Mrs. Lincoln's favorite brother, the favorite brother of the sisters in in Mrs. Lincoln's family, he he fought on the Confederate side. He dies yeah. in in battle. Is it in Arkansas that he's killed? Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's he, he she loses two. She loses Alex and Sam. One, I think that's right in Arkansas, the other in my memory's failing me, and maybe Louisiana. I'd have to look it up again. But um uh, and then her favorite sister, Emily, really her half-s- half-sister, her husband, Ben Hurdenhelm, who Lincoln had tried to talk to coming into the Union Army before the war and offered him a very lucrative, uh, you know, a, a nice position in the Army. But he, he chose to go with the Confederacy. He's killed uh, fighting. And then his widow, Emily's uh trying to get home, and she ends up as far getting as far as— uh, Virginia, and they they realize who she is, and they wire Lincoln. I say, what do we do with her? And he says, send her to me. And she ends up coming and spending uh, time in the White House with them. Uh, And you know, that's the kind of war it was. It literally tore families apart. I know it sounds like a cliche, but it did. And you know, this this young widow and her 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 daughter uh, come to the White House, and and she and Mary just fall into each other's arms and weep uh, because their family has been has been literally torn in two by this war.
0: Did you find that any of your characterizations uh run against the popular conceptions of people? Maybe, oh, that's not. Maybe not. That's a good question. First time anybody, anybody know. answered. I
1: probably know. probably not. I t- you know, Mary was a Mary was a tough one. She, she's uh, you know, cuz people have very divided feelings about Mary Lincoln. Uh and she um, you know, she was a tough person I think, to be married, too. And Lincoln was, too, in a lot of ways, I think. Um, but she really emotionally disintegrated uh, during the war, especially after their son, uh, Willie, died. I tried to treat her with with a great deal of, of sympathy, because I, I think just what she went through was was awful. Um, there's a really great uh, Lincoln historian named Michael Burlingame, who uh, has, a, has, a, has a book out about their marriage right now, and and, but he's written on Mary in the past. Uh, he argues that she was uh, really a really uh, very unpleasant person. <laughs> yeah. I've tried to treat her with uh, with more sympathy uh, than that, um, but uh, I, I'm not I'm not one to pick a fight with with Michael Burlingame, I believe, because um, he's a great historian. But anyway, um, uh, I will say this though. Yeah, actually, I, I, I do think there's a difference. Um, I think that the Lincoln that you get here is the true Lincoln and the accurate Lincoln, and he is a Lincoln who was a great man. You know, he, was a, he lived a great life, and he was a great man.
2: Yeah.
1: I'm not sure that is the uh, uh, popular narrative these days, at least among uh, the elite of our, of our society.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, there's, there's a tendency to uh, pull these icons down. And um, I don't think Lincoln deserves that uh, for all kinds of reasons. So the story John, you get here, I think, is the accurate story, but it's, it's, it's Lincoln the Great
0: Man. They have absolutely no conception of what it would be like to be the leader of the nation, pushing the war, yeah. and sitting there and listening to the casualty casualty figures come in from Antietam. Right. <laughs> yeah. And and, and yes. you've got to get up the next day and go back to and, work
1: and go back to work and try to save and try to save the country. Well, he stepped into, I I don't think he had any idea what he was getting into. He stepped into a river of of blood and fire when he became president. Um, And it just kept coming and coming. You know, the first Indian officer killed in the war was Elmer Ellsworth, was a young man who was a friend of theirs killed across the, River Potomac, that was a shock. And then their very good friend, Ned Baker, who had, they had named one of their sons after, was killed fighting at Balls Bluff just up the river, and it just kept coming mm-hmm. and coming and coming.
0: Now, Ellsworth and was, was killed about it, uh, about uh, uh, 300 yards from my house, actually. Right oh, in
1: Marshall House. You live in Old Town, I guess. Yeah, right? yeah, yep. yep. yep.
0: yep. let, let me ask, Does, does yeah. at, at times you suggest that Lincoln suspects that a bullet may take him before the war mm-hmm. is over. Yes. Yeah. It almost yeah. does yeah. when they shoot his hat off.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's a great great story. In the summer of 1864, it's a true story. He was traveling on his horse at night alone, which he sometimes did. It's hard to believe. But uh, up to the soldier's home, which was kind of the Camp David of, of its day, uh, Link, the Lincoln's actually spent 25% of, their, of his presidency living in the, uh, at the soldier's home in the, in the summertime. It was a large house. They called it the cottage. It was a large house. It was just outside of town right on the edge of town as it caught the breezes and he would commute back and forth and he was coming up the road it was dark and he was riding a horse and a shot rings out and the horse bolts and he manages to bring it under control and, and and you know gets gets back to the soldier's home and the next day uh two soldiers appear and they've they've walked down the road and found his hat which is flying off and there's a bullet hole going through the through the crown of it and they show it to him and he he tries to kind of you know brush it off he you know it, it, it. sometimes there were times where he would say you know if somebody wants to kill me they're going to get me and there's nothing i can do about it and other yeah. times he would say i can't believe anybody would want to would want to harm me the next fellow is going to be just as bad for them as you know as i would be so he was kind of you know two minds about it um and of course his his, his good friend and and uh bodyguard Ord Laman begged him uh, not to go out in public after the war, after Lee surrendered. He said, you know, this is the most dangerous time of all. Hmm. And uh, but Lincoln did go to, he did go to Ford's Theater that. Uh
0: the I'm, I'm just going to leave our listeners with a tantalizing question. It's very interesting what you do at the very end with that, with that moment of the assassination. But don't say anything, John. Don't say anything. <laughs> uh, the book is Old Abe. John Cribb, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mark. I really do appreciate it.